Welcome to History Books and Wine. We're your hosts, Lori and Bailey and Eliza Knight. We love sharing, so pour a glass of vino and let's dive into the past. Today, we're excited to have a guest joining us, author E. Elizabeth Watson. On this episode, we're going to talk about 16th century Scotland, harvest festivals, and warring clans. Welcome, Elizabeth. Thank you for having me. I'm really glad to be back on your podcast. I'm really excited about it. Yay. So happy to have you back. We are so, so happy. Yes. So before we dive into Highlanders and clans and all the fun things, uh, let's uh, figure out what we are all drinking today. Um, Elizabeth, why don't you go first? Okay, so I actually still have to go teach a lesson to a bunch of kids tonight in geology and paleontology. <laughs> uh. So I am not drinking just yet, but when I get home tonight, after everything is done, I'm going to have a nice glass of um, Starborough Sauvignon Blanc. Ooh, that Ooh, sounds nice. yummy. It does sound yummy. Uh, today, in honor of you being here, and since I haven't had an excuse to do it in a long time, I'm having a um, a dram of whiskey, and I picked out the McClellan. Uh, it's a Highland uh, single malt scotch whiskey, and it was aged 12 years in sherry oak casks, Ooh, so I'm super excited about that. Delicious. Yay! <laughs> So in honor of Elizabeth, I am having this wonderful glass of Intrinsic. It is a bottle that Your she, favorite. it's my favorite. See, Elizabeth, Lori knows. Um, Elizabeth actually gave me this bottle. Oh, <laughs> and yeah, I told her when she gave it to me, it was one of my favorites. And Lori knows that. So yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, let's dive into our questions, uh, Elizabeth. Today, we're going to chat about your book, A Highland Rogue to Ruin. Can you start us off by telling our listeners what your book is about and how you came up with the idea to tell this story? Yes. So I'll start with the first part of that question, what it's about. In A Highland Rogue to Ruin, the heroine and hero come from fierce enemy clans. And they find themselves uh, thrust into a star-crossed enemies to lovers, grumpy sunshine romance during a harvest <laughs> festival. Yay. Uh, this harvest festival is called Lunasa. And I think we're going to talk a little bit more about that as the podcast gets going. Uh, in the story, Tormund McLeod, he is known as the Demon of the Seas, and Lady Bridget MacDonald knock into each other at a masked bonfire dance. At first, they don't know each other's identity, and by the time they discover that, They've initially bonded and are conflicted about their clan's enemy status. Bridget is really sharp-witted, but sheltered by her well-meaning yet overprotective brother, who is Tormund's gravest enemy. She is drawn to his bad boy, daring, dark personality, and he secretly spirits her away and gives her tastes of freedom she's never experienced before. Tormund is drawn to her forgiving, cheerful nature, her purity, and her ability to see the good and even the worst of things in people including him. Bit by bit, he wants to trust her and is increasingly conflicted about his desire to exact revenge against her brother. The plot is also fueled by big secrets that begin to unravel due to Bridget's cleverness and Tormund's deep need to let go of the past and finally achieve a measure of peace. It's a 
Highland Romeo and Juliet, if you will. Oh. But because it's a romance and not a tragedy, readers can count on an HEA. I just won't tell you any more about that, so it doesn't ruin the story. <laughs> I am glad it's not tragic. I, I Me also, too. Yeah. It's also a really good book, so highly oh, recommend. Thank you. Thank you. Um, the, the second part of the question was how I came up with the idea. And it wasn't until my editor with Entangled Publishing wrote to me and asked me to consider writing stories for the unmarried sisters of the characters in Twelfth Night's Bride that I really started to think about what I could do for this book. Mm -hmm. I knew that I love holidays. I love traditions. I love how those traditions can bring people together. I love the enemies to lovers trope. I, I love it so much. It's full of instant conflict and Same. tension. And um, when I went back and read Twelfth Night's Bride again to kind of reacquaint myself with Bridget and Tormund, who were introduced in that book, there was one line in Twelfth Night's Bride where the hero of that book is sort of taunting the heroine. He's trying to challenge her to race horses with him, and they're trying to escape the scrutiny of his people. And he says, did you know this horse you're riding Won, um, won me a prize at the Inverness Games uh, like some years past. And mm -hmm. when I read that line, I thought, oh my gosh, Bridget <laughs> McDonald for Highland Rug to Ruin. She can totally be the one who rides this horse mm -hmm. at the Harvest Festival. And this is, she can, she can, you know, totally beat the hero and like rub his face in the dirt. And I was like, I can have so much fun with this dynamic with them. And at that point I knew I was really inspired to write the book, but it didn't hit me right away the way mm -hmm. a lot of book inspiration sometimes does. I had to work at this one and really tease it out. So. That's awesome. Yeah. It is. So A Highland Rogue to Ruin takes place in the 16th century Scottish Highlands. What was the political climate in Scotland at that time? Oh goodness. Um, wow, where to start? Um, so to give that was a loaded question. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to give listeners an idea of this backdrop that my story is set in, um, in the 16th century, the 1500s, Scotland is really at the beginning of its early modern period. So, and this whole period was uh, sort of marked by a lot of great political and religious transitions, changes, and turmoil. We see Protestantism really starting to sweep across Europe. We see it, you know, sort of sinking its fingers into English politics, and it is making its way to Scotland too, um, and affecting the way nobles and royalty are making decisions about um, how they rule. We see um, a lot of political changes. We see King James IV is killed, um, or he dies, at the Battle of Flodden Field in 1513 and leaves behind an infant son who can't rule yet. He's a baby. So he, throughout his whole minority, he is influenced by regents who are making decisions on his behalf and trying to influence and attain more control and power for themselves through the way that they're exercising royal power on his behalf. We see... Um, uh, Mary, Queen of Scots, his daughter, very much the same thing. She's this mm -hmm. infant uh, monarch who can't rule, and so she is dominated by regent's decisions for her. She is, uh, you know, as everyone knows, she has a very troubled reign. She's forced to abdicate. She has this horrible marriage to her second husband, who is abusive and a drunkard, and 
he mysteriously dies, but it looks an awful lot like murder. There's all <laughs> mm -hmm. of this stuff going yeah. on. And in the meantime, you have Highland clans that are very much unruly. They are their own sort of um, individual spheres of power. You have chiefs that um, lead their, their various clans. They are very much self-governed and making decisions about justice and laws for themselves. King James IV had tried to rein in some of this rebelliousness. Uh, King James V, his son, when he finally attained his own sovereignty from all of his regents, um, also tried to subdue these Highland clans and pull them into the fold and make them part of Scotland as a whole. And was, you know, obviously there's a lot of this struggle and this tension, um, so much going on. Um, that there's just all this friction and there's not at any point any long consistent period of political stability. You don't, uh, religious instability too, you've got Protestantism on the rise, you've got heretics being punished, you've got all this stuff going on. Aside from all of that, you also have a lot of enlightenment. This is the beginning of the Renaissance in Scotland. You've got literature is blooming, you get your first printing press in Scotland. Uh, wealthy landowners are starting to send their sons off to be educated more and more. Um, you see the introduction of handheld firearms uh, in, uh, introduced into warfare, which really changes that. There's so much going on in the 1500s, and so obviously with tons of change happening in a short period of time, there's bound to be lots of conflict. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> So as you mentioned in A Highland Rogue to Ruin, it is an enemies to lovers romance and your couple first meet at a Highland Games Harvest Festival. What type of events would we find Highlanders participating in at a festival like the one in your book? Okay, so they meet at what's called the Lunasa Festival and this is a traditional festival with pagan origins. So it predates Christianity. Um, it falls between the summer solstice and the autumn equinox. It's always at the beginning of August, and it really marks the beginning of the harvest season. Uh, it's to this day an official Irish holiday. It's a bank holiday there, but it was celebrated throughout much of the Celtic land, including Scotland, mm -hmm. throughout history. Uh, there are many vestiges that still persist today that have been sort of absorbed into Christian traditions. Um, but yeah, it's still in bits and pieces observed here and there even today. At the time when my characters meet, the, uh, the, the, character, the people would have been participating in things like ceremonial corn cutting. And by corn, um, I'm referring to uh, cereal grains like barley and things like that. Um, they would have made offerings of these crops to their deities. Um, there would have been a sacrifice of a bull or an animal. I did not include that in my book. I didn't want to. <laughs> yeah. I didn't want to get that too historically accurate. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, they would have um, collected wild berries, uh, made tithes of these first fruits, increasingly to the church as more and uh, more bits of Christianity took root. Um, there would have been feasts, bonfire, um, dances, hand fasts, or temporary trial marriages. This would have been a time for people to strike truces, for grievances to be heard by the attending monarchs. Um, it would have also been a time for athletic competitions, most notably a horse race, which 
I was really excited to write about, as you already know. Um, and these could yeah, be pretty intense, they can fun. be pretty dangerous. Yeah. So your book takes place alongside the historic feud between the McDonald's and the McLeods. Can you give us a little insight into what fueled the conflict between the two clans? Oh my goodness. So first of all, <laughs> my book is completely fictional. The, the conflict between the characters is fiction and the characters mm -hmm. themselves, even though they bear those last names, are fictional people. Mm -hmm. um, the historic clan feuds, um, there had always been tension among a lot of Highland clans. The, the intensity of the McDonald and McLeod feud um, really doesn't start until the later part of the 1500s. So you'll notice I've taken some liberty with my dates in my book because mm -hmm. my book is set earlier on in the 1500s. Mm -hmm. But the intensity of the conflict really doesn't start until 1577. And like so many arguments between men, be since time immemorial, it supposedly started over a woman. Um, Lore suggests that when a few McDonald men became stranded, or, I'm sorry, McLeod men became stranded on McDonald land, uh, they overstepped their hospitality by becoming increasingly aggressive toward one of McDonald's women. And mm -hmm. um, they were beaten, they were run off the land. The McLeod chief was angered by the way his men were treated and needed to retaliate. And then, of course, the McDonald's retaliated and then the McLeod's retaliated and it kind of gained intensity and became this bloody back and forth that lasted for almost two decades. Um, it's sort of there was an attempt at peace between the two of them uh, when the McLeod chief married his sister to a McDonald chief uh, in mm -hmm. an, sort of an attempt to um, gain an alliance and, and form some peace. Supposedly, according to legend and lore, uh, the McDonald, she, the sister was blind in one eye and they supposedly returned her to her family, the McClouds, on a one-eyed horse with Whoa. a one-eyed dog in disgrace. Whoa. So oh. this had the opposite effect of achieving peace. The McClouds oh, were yeah. furious, retaliated. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I know. I can't imagine why. Um, so there's women bearing the brunt of this too. Yeah, um, sad. So it really culminated into this um, at the early, at the turn of the century, 1601, I think, um, that it culminated into this really bloody battle. It kind of came to this, the pinnacle of their fighting and uh, the Privy Council of Scotland had to step in at this point and they had to force the... Um, clan chiefs to surrender. They had to enforce this truce between them and basically against all of their will um, make them lay down their weapons. They had to force the McDonald chief to release all of his um, prisoners of war at the time. Um, and that was really when it finally, there was finally a lid put on it. So uh, that intervention from the crown did fuel a little bit of inspiration for my story, even though mm -hmm. my story's conflict is very different. Um, the idea that the monarch has to step in and put their foot down on them both and make them achieve some measure of peace was sort of at the heart of my story. I yeah. love that. Very nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I read in one of your recent interviews that your husband challenged you to write romance. Yeah. <laughs> Can you tell us how that came about and how you tackled and met that challenge? Oh my. So I love telling this story. A long time ago, um, I lived in Northern England. I was a student there. My husband was as well. We were grad students and our older boys who were kids at the time uh, lived there with us and were going to school there. 
And I had been writing, uh, first of all, I was supposed to be working on my dissertation, and I was, but <laughs> <laughs> um, I had been writing on the side these YA fantasy novels for my boys. And I had started to try to research how you get these books published. I really didn't know anything about publishing at the time. And I was overwhelmed and frustrated by it. And I had gotten a couple of rejections. And um, my husband, <laughs> neither of us knew anything about romance, by the way. Like, not a, not a single thing about it. I didn't read it. I was one of those people who disregarded it as, like, not, you know, like, frivolous. And I, I really hadn't given it any credence. Um, and so my husband jokingly said, like, well, maybe what you're writing, just you need to try to write something different. Maybe something that has more commercial appeal or something. Maybe you should write a romance. And he sort of teased me. And I laughed him off. I'm like, oh, whatever. Can you picture me reading a romance, let alone writing one? But then it nagged at me. It kind of stuck in the mm -hmm. back of my head. And mm -hmm. I was like, I don't know. I mean, I really don't know anything about romance. Um, so I went to our little library in South Gosport and I looked at the section with all the pretty dresses on the covers and I was like, that has yeah. to be the romance section and picked up um, one of Sarah Zettel's Camelot books and was blown away. Like I, this was adventurous and there was so much happening in this book. It was, yes, it was a romance, but there's so much more happening in romances that mm -hmm. I just didn't realize at the time. And so I was just completely um, sucked in and hooked and thinking, what have I been missing? And I went back to the <laughs> library and I got the rest of the series. And then I started reading every book that had a pretty cover and, you know, <laughs> um, and like there, I just loved it. And I thought, you know what, this is a lot of fun. I could write these. And so while I was in Northern England, uh, in Newcastle, working on my dissertation, I was secretly starting to write my very first romance, which ended up being Prince of Lions. So yeah, that is you know, I haven't awesome. stopped since. I, it I, is. I do love it, that so. story. That's cool. I do too. And it, and it shows how, how well romance, romances are written, yeah. and, you know, to pull people in the way that they do. Mm -hmm. Right. And that yeah. they're more than just uh, bodice rippers, you know, they're stories yes. about people's adventures and battles and conflicts and mm -hmm. love and their is growth as people right oh, yeah. Yeah. it's an amazing journey so yes mm -hmm. yes there's that. so much there can be suspense adventure there's yeah. every plot imaginable you can make into a romance as well i just yeah agree mm -hmm. well thank you for sharing all those fascinating answers with us before we dive into the next stage of our show which is one of our favorites three fun facts we're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. Hi there, History Books and Wine listeners. Thanks for tuning in to our show. I'm one of your hosts, Lori Ann Bailey. Not only am I a podcaster, but I also write sweeping historical romances that will take you back in time and whisk you away on an adventure with action, intrigue, suspense, warring clans, tested loyalties, and love conquering all. My Highland Pride series follows the Cameron clan in 17th century Highlands when Scotland was fighting for their independence and honor and family were prized above all. Highland Deception, the first novel in the five book series, won the National Reader's Choice Award and Holt Medallion for Best First Book and Best Historical. 
The entire Highland Pride series is available in print, ebook, or audio. For more information on how you can be swept away on my hero and heroine's journeys of growth and discovering their destinies in historic Scotland, visit my website at laurieannbailey.com. Hello there, history books and wine lovers. Your host, Eliza Knight here. As you know, one of the reasons Lori and I started this podcast was our love of wine, history, and books. And guess what? I'm not just a podcast host. I'm an author, too. My latest historical fiction novel, starring Adela Stare, delves into the life of Adela Stare, who served up smiles and love both on and off the stage, with and without her also-famous brother, Fred Astaire, along with a determined young dancer with rags-to-riches dreams. Booklist Reviews says starring Adele Astaire has inviting characters inhabiting a richly described environment. The novel follows two women as they fall in love, survive terrible losses, and eventually find a way to stand on their own two feet. An intriguing piece of historical fiction that will engage readers and bring to light a rapidly changing world through the eyes of an early 20th century star. American Dancer Magazine says that I am a master of my craft, that I have captured Fred Astaire's work ethic, Adele's happy-go-lucky attitude, and the world happenings around their love of dance, rise to international fame, separation, and family lives. The reviewer also says, I've expertly intertwined history and fiction to bring to life the forgotten, enchanting performer who captured the American and European hearts before finding love and moving on to a lavish but difficult life that was completely affected by World War II. I am confident that you too will love starring Adele Astaire, and I do hope you enjoy the book. Visit my website, elizanight.com, for more details. And we are back. So, Elizabeth, why don't you tell us three fun facts you discovered during your research for this book? So, it was so hard to narrow it on three. I didn't know where to start. <laughs> um, I loved researching more about Lunasa, the festival. Um, mm-hmm. I knew generally about all of these pagan festivals, but I'd never really spent time digging into the history and the origins of it. So it was so hard to, everything I was learning in detail was new to me, um, just aside from the fact there was a festival called Lunasa, like it was all new to me, so I don't even know where to start with that. Um, I loved learning about the clan feuds too. This was, um, the early modern period of Scotland was a little outside my wheelhouse of um, expertise before this, and I still wouldn't even call myself an expert in it. Um, I'd mainly written medieval stories before that. And so everything I was learning, aside from just very general things about um, Scottish politics and Mary Queen of Scots was new to me. Um, I Mm -hmm. wasn't really aware. I knew clans had fought. I just didn't know about what. So this was really, um, you know, it was, it was an adventure of digging into all of this information, the clan feuds. I will say I was introduced to the McDonald and the McLeod feud um, some years ago when I went back to Scotland for a visit and I took a tour of the Highlands and we traveled up Loch Ness and around that whole area um, so beautiful. near the Western Isles. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know it is. And our tour guide 
started just regaling us with these tales. And he told us, he's, that's the first time I had heard about the sister, the one-eyed sister being sent back to her family in disgrace. And that was mm -hmm. when I sat down and started writing Twelfth Night's Bride. I was so inspired by that conflict. Yeah. I just started writing it before I was even on the airplane to come home. It was just pouring <laughs> out so of me cool. this story. So um, A Highland Road to Ruin expounds upon that um, and also draws in some other conflicts with some other clans. The McNichols was one that they also had a pretty intense rivalry with. That was all new to me as well, the conflict with the McNichols. There's a whole dispute that had gone back to I think like the 1300s or so wow. about the land that the McLeods had being theirs originally and contention about how they acquired it and all that's like, I just don't even know where to start pinpointing individual <laughs> facts. Yeah. I could go on and on and on for hours, I think. <laughs> well, those were really fun. So thank you for they sharing were. those with us. <laughs> yeah. So is there anything else you'd like to share about your book, A Highland Rogue to Ruin? Oh, um, Gosh, I just want people to read it. I had so much fun uncrossing my Starcross lovers. I had so much fun with the festival. The intrigues of the story and the secrets in the story were a lot of fun to unravel. And um, it was just really neat to peel back the layers of these characters. I just think it's one of my best books so far. And um, if I had anything to ask of listeners is to just give it a chance and, and dive in and tell me what you think after you've read it. I would love to hear from people about that. Awesome. Great. Thank you for sharing that. Yes. So we are writers, but we're also readers. So we always have to know what our guests are reading. Ah, <laughs> putting me on the spot. I'm actually going through um, a cozy mystery so I've just picked up a book. It's about Ireland. What is it called? Um, the Irish Castle, maybe? Um, I just started reading that. Um, I also picked up, I'm looking at my Amazon Kindle history right here to see what I've just downloaded. <laughs> I think one of them is called Stitches and Witches or Witches and oh, Stitches. Oh, that's a fun title. Yeah, I've heard of that yeah, one. Yeah, it's part of a series. Um, it's, I think, the second book in the series. Um, it's about a, it, it makes me think of the um, discovery of witches in the sense you have a witch and a vampire who have sort of a slow um, attraction budding, but they're working together to solve these murder mysteries. So, yeah. That's cool. Oh, fun. Yeah. So where can readers and listeners find you? I'm everywhere. I am on Facebook, E period Elizabeth Watson. Um, I'm on Instagram, author um, author E.E. E. Watson. I'm on Twitter or X or whatever it's called today. <laughs> mm -hmm. e, um, author E.E. E. Watson. Um, you can find me on BookBub, Goodreads. I would love a TikTok. I'm new to TikTok, but I'm having a lot of fun with it, making travel videos. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us again. Yeah. It's always fun to have you on. Oh, it was a lot of fun you. to learn about your book, too, and all the, the history behind it, which was awesome. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much. I appreciate the chance to talk about it. And, of course, glad to be back. So, yay. We hope you have enjoyed today's episode with our special guest, E. Elizabeth Watson. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss the rest of this season's lineup. Coming up, we have guest authors Amy K. Runyon, Martha Ann Toll, and A.D. Rhine. For more information about today's episode, click on the show notes. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at History 
BKS Wine for additional historical tidbits and updates. If you like what you heard today, please leave us a review. Thank you for tuning in. Be sure to check out our episodes published weekly on Tuesdays. Until next time. Cheers! And happy reading. Happy reading.